0: Um what is your god like? Amazing. It's a really important question. It's the most fundamental question. How do you actually th- view him? I mean, what does he really like? Not not what are you supposed to say? Not what you think. But like what are you actually Believe him to be like. Because that makes all the difference in the world. If you believe there is a God, what that God is like, and they're with you. Well, this passage is my favorite story in the Bible. I don't know if you're allowed to say that. It sounds bad, kind of. But it is, because this is what our God is like. If you ever wonder what God is like, he is like this Jesus in this story. So we'll look at three things. First, just look at Mary. And I want you to see the contrast between the darkness that we experience with Mary and the light that we experience with Jesus. Point to Mary, Jesus, so what? And then we can all go eat ham at home or something. Easter egg hunts. Mary. Mary is from a town called Magdala, which is on the Sea of Galilee. And it was a wealthy town because they... um, they worked in dyes they they sent dyes all over the the known world at that time so there was a lot of money in magdala it was not far from where jesus was from in nazareth but mary this woman and to be a woman in the first century was to have no rights to have no voice to have no identity she was luke's gospel tells us possessed by demons seven demons And before you sort of maybe roll your eyes at that as being this sort of ancient superstition, have you ever experienced an overwhelming oppression in your life? Have you ever been so buried by sadness and grief and shame and fear? Have you ever been so captured both emotionally, psychologically, and physically? Have you ever experienced that kind of darkness and oppression in your life? Then you can kind of get close to what it was like to be possessed by seven demons. We don't know the extent of her demon possession but we know that she had a nightmarish hell like the man from Gerasene which was also on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in an area called the Decapolis. This man had thousands of demons and this was the description of his experience. He walked around the graveyards at night naked, cutting himself, shrieking. Like, he was a walking nightmare. He was so strong that, that he, he broke the chains that they, they, bound, they bound him uh, foot and hand and he was so powerful, he broke the chains and he walked out nightmarishly. We don't know the, the details of, of Mary's possession, but we know that it would be unimaginable for us as humans. The scariest thing that you could possibly experience so isolated, so alone, so afraid? Have any of you ever felt cursed? Maybe on the outside, you, you look fine on the outside, but has there ever been a point in your life where you feel like there's something that is so dark? There is something that is so um, unholy about you. There's something so deep inside of you. There's no way you could ever be cured. Maybe it's something that happened to you. Maybe it's, it's a coupling of, of physical oppression, of mental oppression, of, of emotional oppression, and there's something you feel so cursed. That is what Mary is like. And then one day, love comes to town. And the person of Jesus, he goes and visits this neighboring town, and he liberates Mary from Magdala. He goes to the place where she is most cursed, most alone, most afraid. And he made a beeline to people like this. This is why he came. In Luke chapter four, his first sermon he ever preached was from the book of Isaiah. And he said, I have come to liberate the oppressed. I've come. What's your God like? That's what Jesus is like. And so what does Mary do? Where else is she gonna go? Think about it. Where else is she going to go except follow this Jesus? Just follow him. And and she does. She goes and she takes care of Jesus. She's around Jesus. She witnesses his entire ministry. She hears the wonderful things that he would say. She watches him. In fact, he does so many things. John says at the end of his gospel that Jesus did so many things that there aren't enough books in the libraries to even contain all the things that Jesus does. Mary saw some things that we'll never hear or see things that are so wonderful, things that are so sublime, things that are so kind and gentle and powerful. She saw Jesus love people just like her again and again. She saw him moved with compassion. And that New Testament word, compassion, is so important in the Gospels. It said that Jesus was moved with compassion. The word compassion literally means spleen. It means you're moved in your guts that means when someone is so moved with compassion, they, she would see Jesus and the other disciples would see Jesus. Look at someone who was so broken, so alone, so ashamed, so dead in, and he would be moved like, oh, you feel it. What's your God like? She watched him do all this. And she also watched him be betrayed by his closest followers. These men that she watched walk and misunderstand him and try to follow him she watched him be betrayed and denied by his closest followers she watched every single step of the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth every step and she saw him be not only betrayed but she saw him fall into the hands of the people who absolutely despised him this kangaroo court trumped up charges and she, she heard him not open his mouth when she knew how powerful he was, she knew that he, he could dust these guys if he wanted to, but he didn't. She saw him be beaten. She saw him hit in the face. You ever seen anyone hit in the face? It says they took the staff as, they were, as the soldiers were mocking him in Aramaic because they were Syrophoenicians. They would have spoken the same language to Jesus, first, first language. And then they would take in the staff and they would hit him in the face. She watched all of that, this person that had liberated her and loved her. And then she saw, saw them crucify him between two criminals, and she knew how good he was and how kind he was. And so I'm crucified there. She was with Jesus' mother. Can you imagine how absolutely overwhelming would be to see Jesus and in three hours to watch him die and I think about the words of the band death cab for cutie old lyrics love is watching someone die some of y'all have watched someone die this year you know what it's like you know that kind of love some of you've seen your children die just like Mary And the kind of death of darkness and the oppression of darkness, Mary was so familiar with that kind of sadness. She was so familiar with that kind of fear. And she watches this precious one die right before her. I mean, he died. And that's why she's there at his tomb weeping because she knew exactly where he was buried and she came to be devoted to Jesus even in death. Because y'all, where else is she gonna go? And the word for weeping here is the worst, deepest, most true kind of weeping. She is absolutely devastated. She's so sad that she doesn't even notice two angels that are talking to her. That's some serious sadness. How sad do you have to be to not notice angels? And she says, This is how devoted she is. Tell me where you've laid him, and I'll go get him. How is she going to get him? Tell me where he is. She's even come to the tomb and he's not there. She wasn't expecting anyone to be risen from the dead. None of them were. You know why? Because dead people don't rise from the dead. No one expected it. And so there she is weeping. You feel the heaviness, the darkness. And here's the contrast. Point number two, Jesus. What happens? There's a moment here that is the most important moment in the history of the cosmos, Dale Bruner, a New Testament scholar, said, at this moment, this little moment, this second, we actually move from B.C. to A.D. in this moment. Because she, Jesus, she thinks he's the gardener. She, he says to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she doesn't even understand any of this she's so sad and she thinks it's the gardener why does she think it's the gardener because everything fell apart in the garden folks and jesus is doing some gardening to show something this this is a rumbling here y'all there's something beautiful happening here love gets the last word all the way down to the greatest curse how about this? The greatest curse of death itself, the greatest curse of your death, the death of the people that you love, the greatest darkness in the world. This is the message of Christianity, that God has come to bless where we feel most cursed. And you may be like me and you're sitting there like, it's really, really, really all caps hard for me to believe that for me, but it's really easy for me to believe that for everybody else. Well, guess what? What kind of God do you have? If you're saying that, God is looking right, you, right in your eyeballs, folks. There are no exceptions. Why? Think of all the places that Jesus could have gone after he rose from the grave. All the places. Anywhere. You know, I made the joke in the first service, like, the first place I would probably go is, I don't know, Pontius Pilate. I mean, think about it for a second. Just like, hey, I'm going to stop by Pontius' place and see if he's in. Just tell him Jesus is here. I'll wait, right? Like, all the places you could go, maybe even the disciples, the Sanhedrin, all the places, anyone that you could uh, appear to, all of these things. How about this? His own mother. If I quit, I'm from Little Rock. If I came to Little Rock and I didn't go see my mom first, I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> But this is what our God is like. The very first person that Jesus, that our God wants to see is the saddest, most cursed person that has ever lived. He wants to see Mary from Magdala. You know what that means for us? It means that God has gone below your death. He has gone below your curse. He has gone below your sin. He has gone below your story. He has gone below every single thing that you think makes you an exception and all the fine print that somehow disqualifies you for grace, and he goes down below it and he says, love gets the last word. And he says, go tell my disciples that I'm ascending to my father and to your father. My father and to your father. You know, do you know what the disciples were doing just days before? Peter, the leader of the disciples, the rock, he denies Jesus so much that one of the gospel writers tells us that he's cursing that he doesn't know Jesus. Like, I don't blank, blank believe I know him. I don't know who you're talking about. Like, cursing, all caps. He doesn't just say like, I don't know who you're talking about. He triple downs. He, he not a double down on he fact, It's like the most horrible thing after he said he would die for Jesus. In other words, he's completely failed. But here's what Jesus, get away from his love. That love is going to absolutely restore the cosmos. My father, your father. So what? Folks, the tomb was empty. You got to deal with that. You got to come to some conclusion for the tomb being empty. It was empty. Now, there are a lot of different explanations. There really are. Some theories that have been given over the years. One explanation is, is that the disciples took it. And that's what the Pharisees said to tell everyone. The disciples took it. Here's a problem with that theory. That if the disciples had taken the body of Jesus, they went to their death saying that Jesus was alive how does Peter, who was so scared of a little girl, by the way, she was a little girl, who, who, so scared of a little girl just days before, months before, that he boldly proclaims that Jesus is alive and history tells us that he was crucified upside down. Could you imagine, can you imagine Peter dying for something he knew was a lie when he didn't even stick up for Jesus when Jesus was on earth? Come on, disciples didn't have the body. You could say that. The disciples didn't have the body. They all went to their death saying they believed him. Some people say the Pharisees took it. Problem with that is if the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders took it, why is it in the early chapters of Acts? Why didn't they just produce the body when they told people to stop preaching about the resurrection? They didn't, because they didn't have it. Another theory is called the swoon theory. And that's the theory that Jesus Christ was crucified but they didn't really kill him he was just really injured and that he revived on the third day this was a really common theory that he revived on the third day a little injured but they all believed that he had risen and they told people and he just went into retirement and no one ever heard from him again here's one thing you need to know about the Romans they knew how to kill you they didn't make mistakes on kids if they knew how to do anything they knew how to punch your ticket they killed Jesus so here's the thing, there are a lot of other theories. Here's the thing. The tomb was empty, y'all. And Jesus said, "I want you to go give a sermon." The very first sermon preached, the resurrection was by Mary from Magdala. How you like him, apples? Go tell him I'm alive. Go tell him I'm risen. Y'all, that's the only sermon I have. I've preached a lot of sermons in 17 years. I've preached a lot of bad sermons. I mean, a lot of sermons. God have mercy on the people that have heard all my sermons. A lot of boring sermons, a lot of angry sermons, a lot of weird sermons, a lot of stupid sermons. And at the end of the day, this is the only sermon I have because I learned something in all these years of ministry. What in the world do you tell to so- tell someone who's lost their baby after 50, 56 days in a NICU? You tell them Mary's sermon. Jesus is alive. What do you tell someone that has lost... Their, their husband and their father, his two little girls and a little baby, newborn little baby boy, and he was tragically dead. What do you tell this person? All things work together for good? Yeah, not then. You tell them Jesus is alive. What do you tell someone who has, their husband or their wife has walked out on them, who promised to love them, but they're gone now? What do you tell someone who's addicted what do you tell someone who's cutting themselves? What do you tell someone when you're faced with the other impossibility, when you're just looking in the mirror as a pastor, which by the way, is the weirdest job in the world. Well, It's the weirdest job. What do, you tell, what do you tell yourself at the end of the day? Like, could all this really be true? And could I actually, as messed up as I am, be a child of God? This is the sermon. This is the only sermon I have. It's the only sermon we need. What is your God like? Your God is the kind of God who appears to the lowliest first. You know what? You can write that at the end of each day, no matter how sad it was. You can write that at the end of every life, no matter how hard it was. This is the hope we have, y'all. Jesus lives.